Welcome to The Climate Imperative, the podcast that dives deep into the actions and strategies of influential leaders in business and government as they tackle the pressing issues of climate change. Your hosts, Charlie and Michael, bring with them decades of technology and customer journey experience at companies like HP, Citrix, Sage, and Yahoo, and will bring you guests that want to share ideas for a more sustainable and resilient world. Let's go. GitLab, a comprehensive web-based platform for managing software development processes, enabling teams to collaborate, build, test, deploy, and monitor software projects efficiently. With features such as version control, issue tracking, continuous integration, monitoring analytics, and so much more, GitLab allows multiple contributors to collaborate on code simultaneously. And today from GitLab, we are here with Stacy Klein, the Senior Director of ESG. Hello, Stacy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Of course, was that intro okay? It was good. I think it was crisp. It was clear. Even my my mom would understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, my mom would be like, "What's the word? Get what?" I'm like, never mind. We're good. <laughs> We're good. And then and then the next thing she'd say is, "When are you coming to visit?" There you go. <laughs> so tell. Thank you for being here. First and foremost, we appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. ESG, as much of our audience is involved in our world. ESG is an ever-changing landscape, and there's several components to it. It's not just about net zero footprint and sustainability. It's about uh, diversity, regulations. There's all of these things that fold into it. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what it means for your role at GitLab? Yes. So um, I've been at GitLab for now just about a year, leading the company sustainability strategy and program. But generally, I've been in the field for over a decade now. Um, at GitLab, there wasn't a formal program when I came on board. So I spent the last 11 months or so building the program from the ground up. And one thing I like to clarify is that we call it ESG. That's in my title, ESG. But what I'm talking about is corporate sustainability. So you'll hear me use those two terms interchangeably, although I realize in the field, it's a very hot conversation right now around the differences um, of those. But My role is essentially split into two main functions. The first is around ESG disclosures and reporting. So ensuring that we're staying compliant with regulations and we're providing the information to our stakeholders that they want from us in regards to ESG. And then the second part of my role is more of that traditional social impact. So developing a corporate social responsibility strategy, creating programs to advance our social and environmental goals, So this really ranges from creating partnerships with nonprofits, providing volunteer opportunities for team members, and managing our in-kind donation program. So it kind of runs the gamut around responsibilities. GitLab is a fully remote culture, right? You don't have office buildings, giant HQ or anything like that, correct? That's correct. Yes, we are fully remote and have been since day one. With the ESG landscape or the sustainability landscape and what what it is you're doing day to day, do you find that that makes it more difficult or easier to sort of get things done to kind of disseminate information and to move forward with your goals? Yes, I think it does. Um, I think there's a few things. So it's unique in that looking at the environmental side of things, right? So when we just look at like our greenhouse gas inventory, we don't have any scope one or two emissions. It's all scope three, which gets a little bit complicated. Um, But it also means that our footprint is relatively light. And so we can be a little bit more strategic about how we approach that. But generally about how we get things done, how we communicate, GitLab has done a fantastic job building out best practices around virtual collaboration, 
aligning our people on norms and values and ensuring that processes are open and documented. So this way of working and this asynchronous approach has allowed us to be really inclusive for our 2000 team members who are spread across 60 different countries and regions. That's that's uh, no easy feat for sure, because there's so many things people think about, okay, we got regulations at home, we have things and practices here is different for all of those or a good chunk of those 2000 people, you said 60 different countries. That's correct. Yeah. So it's it's going to be different in those areas just based on the governing bodies and what they're they're also trying to do in their specific regions how is it that you're communicating what needs to be done and keeping an eye on what needs to be done in region um, with region specific regulations yeah so governance structures are really key to this from how we look at all sort of efforts at the company so we've worked really hard to create working groups and leadership councils to bring together groups of individuals across the business to not only educate and have conversations with them about what's relevant to us from a sustainability perspective and have them bring information back to their teams and regions, but it also allows us to have conversations with folks around the world to understand what is impacting their local communities. So not just from a regulation standpoint, we of course look at that, but what are the specific issues that are happening locally that we should be paying attention to? You know, I, I mentioned this remote work since day one and all of our best practices that we have around this. We also then implement other initiatives. So for example, we have a team member resource group called Global Voices. And this TMRG works to increase awareness to GitLab's globally diverse team by empowering team members to celebrate global representation and its benefits, improve global inclusiveness, and advocate for global diversity across the organization. So this TMRG has done a really, really great job driving this work from the ground up and ensuring that we are including and thinking about all of our team members, wherever they are in the world and what's relevant to them. That was sort of a follow-up question that I had is communicating something and then ensuring that things are being implemented and tracked and really understood at the ground level. I think that's that key component that's probably the most difficult or was early on. You had touched upon something that we come across pretty often in these types of conversations, whether they are sales conversations uh, with the tech platform, but or just these types of interviews here with the, the climate imperative is the scope three. I think I mentioned this in the last episode, what we were discussing blind spots with a very large uh, organization, global real estate footprint, hundreds of offices and tens of millions of square feet. And I said, where are your blind spots? And they said, our supply chain, our vendors, our partners, we don't have easy access into their world and they don't yet have everything consolidated and easily communicable to us. So I think when you had just mentioned that, yeah, I think that's likely, especially for you without a scope one, scope two, that scope three component is probably a bit of a burden in really trying to understand things. How are you going about trying to tackle that? Yeah. So I think it's, it's tricky and so much of scope three is based on estimations. And so, you know, estimations only get you so far. So figuring out how to really understand the data there. I think one of the components that you mentioned is around supply chain. So that's something we're, we're building up right now. So we'll be launching an official supply chain program um, next year. But our goal for this year is to engage with 20 of our suppliers, the top 20 from the spend perspective who don't disclose their emissions to start understanding you know, where are they at in this process? Of course, with all of these regulations coming down the pike here, we're all in the same boat of needing to understand how we're going to comply with these regulations and how we want to disclose our emissions. 
So working with these suppliers to obtain the information that we would need from them for a supply chain program. So that's a big piece. And I think the second part of scope three that we're really focused on is our remote team member emissions. So we're not taking the easy way out because we don't have scope one or two and we're not calculating for a physical footprint. We want to make sure that we're accounting for our team member emissions as well. And so right now that's based on, like I said, estimates. So we're looking at where all of our team members are based. We're looking at the grids from where they're located and giving estimates based on that. But our goal for next year is to dig in a little bit deeper and understand directly from our team members, you know, do they have solar? What, how are they running their electricity at home? Do they have an electric vehicle? And really digging down into their specific ways of living so we can get a little bit more granular around their specific emissions and get a better understanding of what our actual remote team member emissions are versus just these estimates that we have right now. I really like that because I think one of the things that is super important when people say remote work, hey, we don't have an office building. And you guys are saying, well, you know what? That doesn't really change things. Like what if what if a thousand of our colleagues out of the 2000 colleagues are running their homes off of a coal plant that's just, you know, spewing fumes down the road? You want to understand clean versus dirty energy coming through the grid. I learned that the state of Florida doesn't typically have as aggressive a recycling programs for other organizations, uh, hotels, a lot of hospitality uh, type organizations don't typically have a very aggressive recycling program. We're here in California, you get run out of town if you're throwing a glass bottle or aluminum thing in the trash. And so I think that, yeah, for you, it's going to be very eye-opening. And I would love to be a fly on the wall as you're starting to parse this data for 2,000 plus employees across 60 countries, because you're going to be able to pull at these little threads and go, aha, so many little nuggets of learning uh, that you're going to be able to come across. It's going to be pretty, pretty exciting for you. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, GitLab is all about transparency. That's one of our values. So we will be sharing everything we learn along the way. We'll be sharing it in real time while it's happening because we see not only is this a great way to develop our strategy internally, but it's going to be a great way to educate others who are in a similar position or going down this path on how they can approach this as well. Yeah. And that that's, I think, part of the beauty of GitLab. And, you know, I've been a fan of the organization, have used it in in other organizations that I've worked on. I've been in um, the technology and the startup space for so long. And it's, it's a household name. I don't think enough people out there realize how many innovations uh, have leveraged the technology that GitLab has really brought to the forefront uh, in terms of scalable architecture and code that you know people can collaborate on in real time, like I had mentioned earlier, and how important that was, I think, over the last 10, 10 years specifically as, um, and maybe even earlier than that, in how we were able to iterate on the platforms that are out there that we all use day to day. And in a lot of ways, there's other tech out there that just fires off in the back end. People don't understand a lot of what they have on their phone is the end result of these innovations coming from technology like GitLab, people being able to use it to, to work faster and more efficiently. So, so we, we touched a little bit upon some of what you guys are going to be doing in the future to really understand uh, what you're doing at the team level. GitLab, for all intents and purposes, is a global technology company that has an eye on sustainability, diversity, and a lot of, I think, things that are overdue. How is it that you hope to influence these other organizations? Or is it that you're just trying to really do your own thing and hope that they see it and lead by example quietly? No, I think I think there's both of those things. I think it's important for us to be very transparent. And you talked about iteration earlier, and that's 
my favorite value that we have here is we aren't waiting for perfection before we're getting started. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's an area where we can really benefit the industry as a whole of how we're taking this approach. So we might not have it all figured out yet. We might not see the full picture and have that roadmap completely built, but that's not going to stop us from getting started. There's two areas that really come to mind for current trends. I think one we touched on was around the scope three emissions. There's a big opportunity for us to share our learnings and how we're approaching this. Scope three, I think anyone you talk to in the field, when you mention scope three, there's always this collective cringe moment of like, oh, you know, we haven't really figured this out yet. And we're we're diving head in to figure that out. And we hope that we can educate other companies on our approach with this. And I think the second piece is around diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Diversity, inclusion, belonging is another one of our values. And by having this fully remote workforce, we're able to eliminate constraints based on where someone lives, and we're able to rely on our scalable employment solution. So this allows us to focus on skills, experience, enthusiasm, energy, and hire top talent from around the world. And we've learned a ton, and we now equip other organizations on best practices on remote work, such as through our training we have, it's called Team Ops. And this type of model can then allow companies to become more sustainable and efficient and become more inclusive. So we've been operating this way for so long and we share our learnings always. I keep talking about transparency, but we are truly transparent. Our entire 2000 plus page handbook is public for the world to see. We share all of these learnings here because our goal is to educate others, individuals, companies, on what we've learned and our best practices to help them take those and implement them at their own companies as well. You're open source by nature. Exactly. Right. I mean, down, right down to your core, it's it's about creating an, an open culture, transparency, and, and saying, let's, let's use this for the greater good. And I think that that's really important. I am still surprised by how many companies haven't really taken the regulations coming their way and not just what comes from those regulations. If they don't adhere to them, companies of a certain size or in a certain region, but also the, I think the backlash of not taking things seriously, right? That, that they might lose talent rather than be able to attract talent. Is that, is that something you guys are seeing? Do you hear that from, from people when you, when you interview them or you try to bring them into the organization? I mean, I can speak from my my personal experience there. We do something called coffee chats with individuals. So especially when you're new at the company, you just get automatically paired up with people for coffee chats and have these conversations, really casual conversations. And I will say a consistent theme there is around GitLab's values and our approach to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. That always seems to be a theme throughout this of why people are attracted to GitLab and why people are staying at GitLab is because... We are so intentional about our approach to remote work, about our approach to asynchronous work, and how we're really thoughtful about an individual, where they work, their home lives, and where a friends and family first, work second culture. So it's so important to us that we understand every individual. We know that other every individual has priorities and things outside of work, and how key it is to really focus on those things. And how those things also then come back and contribute to the broader. I heard someone once say, uh, your phone does a lot of stuff during the day, but even it needs to recharge. And I and I think people recharge in different ways, right? And not to get too far off the topic, but it is important worth mentioning that 
you know, work-life balance, I, th- I think is a phrase that's thrown around so much that people just don't really embrace it or take it seriously, but it has a lot to do with it foundationally of what we're talking about here, where it's very easy to say, I'm on a mission and you don't get that ability to go recharge your, your inner self by spending time with friends and spending time with family. And so to our listeners out there, take some time today, go, go spend some time with your friends and family and, you know, work the work will be there later on for sure. What do you love most about your role, Stacey? There, there's a lot that I love. I think what I'm loving most right now is getting back into the weeds and really creating and being able to be innovative and think creatively about what is going to make sense. So this, this building aspect is, has been a lot of fun. It's been a busy year. Like I said, we're approaching this one year mark of having this formal ESG program. And so the last year, the main goal has all been about developing the foundation of a program, defining these key issues that are driving the sustainability strategy. So it's been a very fun process. And now that we've gone through this and we've conducted our first materiality assessment, we've defined our key issues, we've conducted our first greenhouse gas inventory, we've published our first ESG report. We've sort of met all of these baseline milestones, now moving into phase two. So this is what's so exciting to me is now we're really thinking about how are we going to advance these social and environmental objectives? How are we doing this with our company mission in mind to make it so that everyone can contribute? So this is what's just the really exciting part is we have these the foundational elements, the baseline there, and now it's time to really start digging in to figure out what are we going to do to make a really big positive impact? So the diagnostic side is there and now it's really about, let's go find some nuggets where in those insights where you can act upon them and then have that prescriptive measure of saying, listen, if we want to get here, this is the prescription for getting there, right? Yeah. That's how Charlie, my my co-host, who's away on assignment today, that's how he looks at our organization and, and how we try to help communicate to other organizations of how they should look at things. Otherwise, it's very daunting, right? Because if somebody came to you on day one, and you didn't have any experience in you know the world that you live in. And let's just say I come to you and I say, hey, we want to go ahead and sell you on this package that's going to help you really understand your net zero footprint and all of these different things. Right away, it's almost as if you don't know enough to know what you don't know or what you need. Yeah. And it can be really overwhelming too, when you think about all of the things that need to be done. And then you throw in the different conversations and pressure from stakeholder groups. And then now the regulations, and it can feel very overwhelming for all the things you might need to start tackling. But again, in the spirit of iteration, you got to start somewhere. So start tackling these things, leverage people who have expertise in certain areas to get started because we really, we don't have time to waste. You know, when we talk about that, you just mentioned, you know, really it's about understanding the baseline and going from there. And we don't have the time to waste. How do you see these organizations? Because you guys have such a great grasp on it. These other organizations out there that might be overwhelmed. 2030 is a number that I hear thrown around a lot. How long did it take you and your team to really get to where you are in understanding and assessing? And I know it might be a little different because it's uh, fully remote, a very future forward thinking, open, transparent organization, GitLab, a lot of companies aren't. If they haven't started by now, is 2030 attainable for significant impact? Or is it more of a 2035, 2040 in in your assessment? 
Um, I think 2030 is definitely still attainable. It's all about iteration. So start somewhere, get going on things. I think 2030 is a good baseline and then expand from there. Of course, I'm talking about this in terms of GitLab where we don't have scope one and two emissions. Um, you know, we're not manufacturing, we don't have a physical product. So our approach to that is going to be a little bit more, I think, simple than other larger companies, especially those who have a physical product. But you got to start somewhere. And I know it's it's this constant balance of trying to figure out how to set a goal without fully understanding how you're going to get there, but also knowing the importance of having a roadmap. But I think just get started. If you just get started and you think of this as an iteration, this is the first step to getting on that path. And you continue to build as you go and as you figure more things out. I love that. I think it was Reed Hoffman. Maybe it was Reed Hoffman who was saying that if you wait until something's perfect to launch, you're waiting too long, right? I think I'm totally butchering that. And I'm not even going to bother fixing it in post-production. We're going to leave it. It's it's paraphrasing. I think it was Reed. Uh, but there's something to be said there where you really do have to start. I have a product development background working for tech companies. And it would always just be like, okay, well, let's start here with the first part of it and iterate and build on top of that based on what the customer needs are or the internal needs are. I very much do appreciate your time. The last question I have for you, Stacy, is when you get further down the road, with implementing the current part or phase of the project that you're on. Um, I'd love to be able to circle back and check in and see how uh, see how that's going for you. Because again, those the, the insights that I think you're going to be able to pull from what you guys are gathering now and beginning to gather, I think that's going to be very, very impactful. And I'm, I'm excited to hear what, what comes of it. Yes, absolutely. GitLab is public by default. So we are going to be sharing everything we learn along the way. Anything we can do to help educate individuals or other companies who are going down this path, we definitely want to engage in. You guys have those t-shirts made up, right? Public by default. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if that that exists. It's probably somewhere, but yeah. Well, it, if if not, it will be it will be soon, I'm sure. So I uh, I very much appreciate your time, Stacy, and um, and good luck to you. And definitely keep us posted on how things are going over at GitLab. Great. Thank you so much. To learn more about today's guest, we'll include all links in the show notes. This episode was made possible by Riviera AI, a sustainability data company that puts all of your ESG and net zero data into one screen. To learn more about Riviera AI, visit www.riviera.ai. Until next time, thank you for joining us on The Climate Imperative.